0: Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keene Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree printing or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keene covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at keenlandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. welcome to parker's mma show if you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world you've come to the right place each episode your host parker keen will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting now here's your host parker keen
1: let's get into it so we're back episode 41 parker's mma show co-pilot billy naden across the screen here um let's get into it you know awesome awesome fight this weekend billy this is why you and i absolutely love this sport and we'll shout from the rooftops about the sport forever but this is uh the greatest you know showcase of high level mma right here dustin poirier and dan hooker absolutely went to war and it was it was one for the ages what were your thoughts on the fight billy yeah,
2: like you said, this is this is the type of fight that when someone asks you why should they like MMA, someone who's new to MMA is trying to get into it. You know, this is a fight to show them um, because this fight had it all. I mean, it had great striking, great jujitsu. It was a back and forth war. Um, just two unbelievably tough guys, two unbelievably respectable fighters. Um, really, really enjoyed watching this.
1: Yeah, this is freaking incredible so um, I'm gonna ask you how how did you score the fight live I've gone back and I've watched it a second time now and I had it two to two both times I watched it I had uh, Dan Hooker taking the first two rounds or two to two going into the fifth sorry Um, Dan Hooker taking the first two rounds and then I had Dustin Poirier taking three four and five so how did you score it live yeah, I think
2: this is probably a very controversial opinion, um, even though maybe it shouldn't be. Um, I thought round one was a lot closer than people gave it credit for, and I actually gave it to Dustin. It was very,
1: very close, very close. I thought he yeah. landed
2: harder shots. I thought he did more damage. I thought even though Hooker landed the majority of the shots in that uh, in that round, they were kind of you know salt and pepper shots to me, whereas Dustin was really landing with with power shots that were doing damage. Um, but Anyone who gave that first round to Hooker, I have no problem with. So I ended up scoring it four to one, Dustin. Um, round two to Hooker, last three rounds to Dustin. But I have no problem with anyone who gave it three two to Dustin, giving Hooker the first round.
1: Yeah, yeah, me either. Um, so let's move on. There was it was a close fight. There was no, I don't think there was really no controversy about the final score. I think everyone kind of felt that Dustin did enough to get that win. Um, but again, Dan Hooker shows how incredibly tough he is and how high level he is to be able to hang in there, but a gr- grueling, grueling five rounds with one of the best fighters, in my opinion, on the planet, Dustin Poirier. So, um, all right, let's move into my next question. Billy, is this your number one fight of the year thus far?
2: No, no, it's not. Joanna Jernjic against Wiley Zhang is the best fight of the year. It is the best woman's yeah. MMA fight of all time. It's the best fight under 145 pounds to ever take place in the UFC. It's an absolutely incredible five round back and forth fight. The one thing that I think takes away from that fight is, in my opinion, the wrong woman came away the winner in that fight. I thought Joanna won, whereas in this fight, I think the right person won, which gives it a little bit of closure as as a great fight, in my opinion. But two incredible fights, clear one-two for me, but... I got to give it to Joanna and Wiley.
1: Yeah, I I think this moved in. You know, we just talked last week about the Josh Emmett. um, Who did he fight? Shane Burgos fight. that, That one was definitely slid into our top five. I think this one is hands down. This is your number two best fight of the year so far. In a year we've had a lot of, a lot of crazy fights. And I, you know, I'm starting to think that that 25 foot cage has a lot to do with it. There's just nowhere to hide in there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, you heard Dustin talked a little bit about it on Ariel's show. Is, you know, like when Dan Hooker's at his best, he works in space and he can move around and just pepper you with shots and then catch you. Uh, but he needs space to work his full game. And I mean, he had no room. Dustin was smothering him the entire fight. And there's just nowhere to hide in that 25 foot cage. So I'm all for kind of keeping that cage. <laughs> I do I, I love it. I mean, look at the action and look at look at the fights we're getting. Yeah, I think what's interesting is the UFC
2: owns all of these other promotions brands that they bought, right? So they own the Strikeforce branding, they own the Pride branding, they own the WEC branding. So I don't. I think the UFC should consider putting on. You know, maybe a contender series of guys that are lightweight and below or even a fight fight night of guys that are lightweight and below, which ends up working out with the schedule. A lot of the times brand it as, you know, a WEC return, get some buzz in the media and use that small cage again. I'd even be down with using the blue mat again and and kind of get some buzz around bringing back the old WEC because that's where the
1: small cage really comes from. So the ufc out of outside of fights at the apex they never fight in a 25-foot cage right the
2: only time that they've done it is when they used to go to like um the smaller casino venues so like your mohegan sons the the hard rock and stuff yeah i think they at the hard rock yeah right where you know the the arena or the palms
1: sorry the palms in vegas yeah the
2: arena's smaller you know for the tough finales they used to use the smaller cage um but now they never use it because they're always in bigger arenas. Um, but I would love to see them put on some fight night events or some contender series events um, using all smaller weight classes in the smaller cage. Because I agree with you that I really like it, but I think we've seen some heavyweight fights like Blades Volkov and Augusto Sakai against Blagoy Ivanov, where... The heavyweights need a little bit more room to move around in there, so I actually prefer the bigger cage for those guys, but definitely the lighter weight classes absolutely love the smaller cage.
1: Yeah, I could, I would be totally fine if they did like 155 and down, uses a 25 foot cage, and then 170 and up uses a 30 foot cage. Um, just based on the fights that we've seen, I mean, shit, fucking craziness. Um, all right, so for me, this was, uh, this was the number two fight of the year for sure. Um, for Dan Hooker, he, he was on um, Submission Radio, I think, yesterday, and he basically said he's ready to get back in there. He's ready to get back in there against either Charles Oliveira or Tony Ferguson. Um, at the end of 2020, what, is, what are the odds of Dan Hooker having three of the top five best fights?
2: I mean, if if Tony Ferguson is healthy, we know that guy heals like nobody else in the UFC, and they can book Tony Ferguson against Dan Hooker. I mean, you want to talk about a fight with, you know, insane violence potential, insane action potential. That's the fight right there, Park. I mean, that's as good as it gets, man, in terms of two guys who are willing to stand in there and bang, and they're long, and they got weird jujitsu. And I'm just, I'm salivating thinking about that fight.
1: Yeah. yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with any matchup in the top five right now at lightweight. I just don't. I think every one of them's a fucking just incredible fight. Um, all right, for Dustin. Um, in my opinion, you know, Dustin had came off, I think it was on a nine-month layoff. He had just come off probably the most devastating loss of his career. Um, I was a little worried in the first round. To me, he just came out kind of slow. He looked a step behind. The whole time and then after that I mean he just turned it on his deep his defense did not look as sharp as it usually is but overall how do you rate the performance from Dustin Poirier in his comeback fight
2: I completely agree with you that he came out slow I think you know as much as Dominic Cruz wants to pretend like ring rust isn't real all the evidence suggests that ring rust is very real and so I think there was a little bit of that going on I think there was a little bit of a feeling out process um, what I thought this fight was, was amazing for me from Dustin, for a guy who just had hip surgery, I mean, his jujitsu jitsu looked as slick as it's ever looked, in my opinion, in an MMA fight. I mean, we know this guy's a black belt, but you know his, his use of the whizzer and his guard to kind of throw up triangles and keep Hooker from just posturing up and raining down punches in the later rounds, I mean, super, super impressive. And he almost got multiple submissions uh, that you know, require a lot of hip dexterity, a lot of hip flexibility. So I really think, you know, as much as Dustin's body may have, uh, you know, taken some beatings over the year, he looked as good as ever to me.
1: Yeah, I, I think his jiu-jitsu, that's the best I've ever seen his jiu-jitsu look. I mean, anytime that fight hit the ground, he was, you know, tacking submissions, triangles, guillotines, everything. He was working the entire game. And I think he kept, I, I think that wore out, Dan Hooker more than anything, because Dan Hooker, I think in the later rounds he was starting to take a lot of damage, so he thought he could take the fight to the ground and maybe just hold top position and win the rounds. But Dustin was making him work the entire time, so yeah, in my eyes that was very very impressive. Um, for me, he he took Dustin took a lot more damage than I think he usually takes in these kind of fights. He just didn't seem as sharp defensively, and maybe that's because he has been out you know, for nine months, and he came off a a huge injury. But uh, he said something in Ariel's, Ariel's interview that I think Teddy Atlas had told him is that he was looking at the receipt after he made the exchange too long. So he was landing these bombs, but then he's not getting out of the way and staying safe. You know, he's just kind of accepting taking damage from Dan Hooker. And that's why we had like that second round was just fucking chaos. They, you know, each guy would trade like 10 to 15 shots, and then the other would go. And I don't – I think that's going to get you knocked out, you know, in against Conor McGregor or against Justin Gaethje. So I think that's something Dustin can tighten up. But, I mean, in my eyes, Dustin Poirier is still one of the best fighters in the world. I, so I was I was really impressed. I guess uh, – my
2: thing is, you know, against McGregor, I agree with you because McGregor is, is an absolute sniper, and we've seen it time and time again – And, you know, against basically everyone except Habib, like, and I guess Nate Diaz the first time, you know, McGregor's just able to pick counter shots like no one else in that division. But, like, we've seen Dustin fight Justin Gaethje. And, like, I would argue that Dustin took a lot more. Not
1: the same Justin Gaethje that just beat Tony Ferguson. That was a completely different Justin Gaethje.
2: I would argue that Dustin took more damage in that Justin Gaethje fight than he took against Dan Hooker, and he just kept coming forward. I think there's a really big argument for me that Dustin Poirier has the best chin at lightweight. He's the toughest guy at lightweight. He's just willing to absorb punishment and keep moving forward like no one else. The only guy I think would be close to that is is like a Habib. Um, but, Tony, Tony Ferguson. Look at Tony Ferguson. True, true. But Tony will get knocked down. Like Tony Tony will get hurt yeah. in fights and then make comebacks. Dustin just takes it and totally no sells these just massive shots that he takes in so many of his high level fights. I just I'm so impressed with that guy. I can't say enough nice things
1: about him. And Dustin the biggest thing for me is Dustin's power. His power is just man, for this division he has vicious power. I mean, Dan Hooker is tough as hell. Dan Hooker was taking bombs on the chin. And you can say the same thing about him. I mean, he was just walking through those. So, yeah, I I don't know. Um, That fight really, really made Lightweight even more interesting. Um, I don't think any of – you know, I don't think Dan Hooker takes a big step back after that. I think he's ready for another top five fighter. And I I think he – Justin Gaethje said, you know, you've earned your spot at the big table, you know, with the big dog. So, yeah, what a fucking fight. That was, man, that was incredible. Let's talk a little more about Dustin Poirier. Um, why do you think that Dustin Poirier has not just became a super mega star? He just seems like he's got it all. He's a you know, fan-friendly fighter, fight, fighter-friendly fighter. He's just he's just one of those guys that seems to have it all, but he's just hasn't transcended into a giant megastar yet.
2: I think it's really, you know, I looked at kind of four things that I thought about when I thought, why isn't Dustin a bigger star? So number one, I think it's pretty obvious, but guys never held the belt. I mean, he had the interim title that he won from Max, but he's never held like the UFC undisputed championship, which I think does carry a lot of weight, especially with casual fans. I think number two, he doesn't talk smack basically at all. I mean, he'll throw a little barb here and there, but. For the most part, that guy is a consummate professional. He'd rather highlight the community service work he's doing in, in Lafayette and around the country than you know talk smack about, you know, the guy's mother or his wife or his sister or whoever. And then he's not really a unique looking fighter personality. He's like very well rounded. He kind of practices like MMA as a martial art, essentially. He doesn't have like one skill he's particularly good at, and he doesn't have like a unique look. And then he's not from a country or a part of the country um, that is really supportive of fighters. I mean, you see it with Cormier, too, where there's just not a huge, you know, basis of UFC fans in Louisiana that are coming to these fights and, and really blowing it out for Dustin. And the UFC doesn't go to Louisiana, so we don't get that opportunity to see him kind of in his hometown environment where he would come off maybe, maybe as more of a star. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. He's just, you know, he's been, this is a guy that basically dropped out of high school and has been fighting since he was 17, 18 years old. Um, And he's just a veteran. He's a veteran of the sport. He respects the game. He's never lost two in a row, which is incredible when you look at his resume of how many people and the names that he's fought. But I don't know. I just, I've never seen him get emotional. You know, he got emotional in that first Connor fight. A little bit because I think Connor got under his skin. But outside of that, I agree. He's not a guy that talks shit. You know, he's he's kind of the last of a dying breed of fighters. He's kind of the Chuck Liddell character that, you know, comes to fight. Every fight, you know what to expect from him. He's gonna come in there, he's gonna look to win, and that's all he cares about. He cares about winning fights, his family, his charity, and that's it. Outside of that. You know, he, I think he's just a guy that loves to fight. And, you know, he's, I think when it's all said and done in 5, 10, 15 years from now, in my mind, I think Dustin Poirier is going to go down as a top 10 fighter. And he's another one of these guys, like you said, like DC that, you know, it's just kind of flies under the radar. But he's, he's we're watching greatness when you watch Dustin Poirier fight. When it comes to MMA, he's, he's going to go down as one of the best fighters of all time. And he's just a guy that keeps coming and keeps coming. You know, he's had highs, he's had lows in his career, but he just keeps coming. And I think when it's all done and said, they need to make a movie about Dustin Poirier's life. He's had a pretty crazy life. (laughs) So, yeah. um, What for Dan, he's... Man, Dan Hooker's coming off of the Paul Felder fight, which was an absolute war, and then he had another absolute war just now against uh, Dustin. So... Where does Dan Hooker go from here?
2: I love the Tony Ferguson fight. I mean, we talked about it earlier. That would be my number one fight if I was going to book Dan Hooker right now. I, I think it's the obvious, uh, the obvious natural step. They're both coming off losses to really high level guys. Um, you know, you, you like matching up two guys coming off losses because then one of them breaks the losing streak. Um, I'm also interested in the Felder rematch. I think that was a really close fight. I would love to see that again. Um, and, you know, we can talk about this more when we get to Dustin. I think kind of my third option, if if both of those fall through, would be a Charles Oliveira fight, but I would really prefer Ferguson or the
1: Felder rematch. Yeah, I, I think Charles Oliveira is a fun matchup against anyone right now in the top five, but I think he's still one more fight away from breaking into the top five and being, you know, on the same level as these guys. He's... He, he kind of needs a run like Gilbert Burns had through 170. Uh, Charles Oliveira. He needs to just, you know, luck into a couple of these fights, have some things go his way. And I, I do think, you and I have talked about this before, but I think this is, he's one of the dark horses of the division. So for Dan Hooker, um, man, I, I get the Tony Ferguson fight, and I think that's a crazy fight. I, I think that, you know, especially a motivated Tony Ferguson coming off a loss that's that's got the recipe to be Fight of the Year, even above the two fights we've already talked about. So I love that fight. Um, Paul Felder, you know, I think he's kind of sitting on the sidelines and maybe wants one or two more fights. Um, that's a fight that he would definitely like to get back. And I think, you know, I don't know if Dan's gonna punch backwards, but you know, I think that's a fight that you could talk him into taking, maybe the main event uh, fight night or something. So yeah, I, I'm down with those two. Um, if none of those come to fruition, I, I think yeah, you get maybe like a Charles Oliveira. But outside of that, I don't see any any reason for Dan to fight outside of the top five after a fight like that with with Dustin Poirier, who's arguably you know in any given night the best lightweight fighter in the world. Um, for Dustin, Dustin, it Dustin kind of. It kind of revolves around Conor McGregor. What's Conor McGregor going to want to do next? You know, I think Dustin is going to want to take some time off. Um, If he's offered that Conor fight, that's the fight. That's the fight to make. Conor versus Dustin is freaking incredible. Um, If not, I said Tony Ferguson. I think, again, Tony Ferguson is going to be motivated, hungry to get right back in there. And then if they can't make that fight, um, Nate Diaz. It was booked before. It'd be a good way to get Nate Diaz back in the action, back in the mix at 155, back to fighting, period. Um, so, yeah, those were kind of my top three for Dustin. What would you have? I, I
2: think the McGregor fight is the obvious one. I mean, if he's not actually retired, which is kind of the uh, prevailing uh, opinion, the you know Dustin deserves that rematch. Dustin is way better than he was when he fought McGregor, that's that's the true number one contender fight at 155. The winner of that should take on the winner of Habib against Gaethje. You get the division back on track. You establish a true hierarchy, which includes Connor. Um, and that's that's the number one fight to make for me. Um, the other guy is, you know, I know we call him a dark horse, but Charles Oliveira is is the other fight, and that should also be a number one contender fight. I mean, Charles has fought basically everyone. Um, I don't love the Tony Ferguson fight because if Dustin beats Tony, now Tony Ferguson has two losses at 37 years old. You're kind of killing off one of your more notable names, one of your better contenders. Um, So I don't really want to do that. I I would rather him face Charles Oliveira. And if Oliveira can get through Poirier, now, now we're talking about that guy is every bit deserving for a title shot. And if Poirier can derail the winning streak of Charles Oliveira after beating Dan Hooker... I think he's looking right at a Khabib
1: rematch. Don't sleep on Justin Gaethje, Billy. Don't you dare sleep on Justin Gaethje. Um, For Conor, do you think that's a fight Conor would take? And is that a bigger fight than the Nate or the Jorge fight?
2: It's not a bigger fight than Nate or Jorge. I don't know if Conor would take it, but I don't really know what fight Conor would take right now. I mean, Conor is basically sitting here saying that it nothing really excites him. Nothing out there excites him. It's not like Connor is calling for Jorge. It's not like Connor is calling for Nate. Um, you know, I guess he would want the Habib matchup. I guess he would maybe want the Gaethje matchup if they put an interim title on it or something like that, or a real title on it. But I, I just don't. I don't see what fight is like super enticing to Connor right now. And I think Poirier, quite frankly, deserves the McGregor fight. Yeah, I would love that
1: fight. That's a freaking awesome fight. Um, all right, let's talk about the damage. So these these guys have taken a lot of damage. Um, well, I already mentioned it, but Dan Hooker just came off a war with Dustin Poirier, a war with Paul Felder, and then he got beat up bad by Edson Barbosa. For Dustin Poirier, he just came off the war with Hooker he went to war with Holloway, went to war twice with Eddie Alvarez and then had that crazy fight with Justin Gaethje. When you see these guys, you know, who are older guys, I think they're both what are they? Both in their early 30s. 31. Now? Yeah. So they're both 31. Um do you have any concern moving forward especially for, you know, Dustin Poirier just the amount of damage and miles he has on his body? Do you have any worry for these guys going into the later stages of their career that, you know, maybe they've taken too much damage or do their chins become a question?
2: Yeah, I'm much more worried about this for Dustin than I am for Dan hooker, because even though they're the same age in calendar years, we know that fight years yeah. are a completely different thing. I mean, Dustin has literally been fighting since he was like 17 years old and hooker right. is a, a much newer fighter to the game has much fewer professional MMA fights. So I'm, I'm much more worried about Dustin. I think Mike Brown even alluded to it on Luke Thomas's show that, um, you know, he's worried about it, and he really wants Dustin to kind of cash in right now because he's worried about, you know, the long-term damage he could be taking. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely worried about it. I'm worried about everyone who steps in that cage. This sport takes everything from you. That's kind of the beauty of it is like, you know, in these, you know, 15 and 25-minute segments in this cage like you get to see people's dreams get crushed and realized all oh, where they're laying their bodies on the line that's that's the beauty of mma but anyone who does this for a long time ends up with
1: long-term health problems yeah absolutely all right did you make anything of dustin talking a little shit after the fight was over i think i i
2: think that he felt very slighted by dan's comments before the fight yeah. about kind of walking through him and going right to the title shot. I think Dustin felt like they kind of dismissed him and treated him like he was done and treated this like it was an eventuality. So I think to come out there and get a decisive victory for Dustin Poirier, even though the scorecards were close, it was a decisive victory. I I think that meant a lot to him. And so he kind of wanted to shove it in in Dan's face a little bit. And it's not from a, a mean place or trying to make fun of Dan, but I think Dustin Poirier is the ultimate competitor and and you kind of saw those competitive juices come out after that fight.
1: All right, so, Billy, give me your top five lightweights today.
2: I think uh, Habib Nurmagomedov is number one for me. Um, right. Kind of an obvious right. choice. I think Dustin Poirier is number two. I think Justin Gaethje is number three. Tony, Tony Ferguson is number four. And Conor McGregor is number five, with my honorable mention being Charles Oliveira.
1: All right, I've got Khabib at one, Justin at two, Dustin at three, Tony at four, Dan Hooker at five, and then your outliers are obviously Conor and Nate Diaz, if they decide they're ever going to fight again. I think both of those guys are competitive with anyone, one through five, honestly. Um, So... Yeah, lightweight is heating up. It's heating up. I think by the end of the year, we're going to, you know, obviously, could be even Justin are going to fight. And then hopefully they can get Connor back in there. But I think things are going to get crazy at lightweight again. So, yeah, but overall, um, that's going to go down as a top maybe 10 fight of all time. That was incredible, especially the first three rounds. The first three rounds were absolute chaos. Round two is my hands down round of the year that was just crazy the amount of damage and the volume of punches those guys were throwing it was unbelievable so from start to finish dan hooker dustin poirier we salute you you're absolute legends that was an incredible fight and that's why me and billy love this sport that was man that was freaking unbelievable all right so any other thoughts on that fight billy no thoughts on that fight but
2: that, the unbelievable parts of this card were not limited to the Poirier uh, hooker fight, Parker, because we're about to talk about the legend, Mike, Platinum Mike Perry interview.
0: Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Fruiting, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborist's on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net.
1: I love Platinum Mike Perry. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. The dude's never had a boring fight. He is a freaking savage, one of the most off-the-rails fighters. MMA. Everything you want in an MMA fighter is Mike Perry. So Mike Perry shows up. No corner, no coaches. He's got his brand-new girlfriend. I guess the Platinum Princess is down the road. Mike's moved on to bigger and better things. And his little chocolate chip peanut awesome. butter cup or whatever he calls her. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he he looked awesome. I, this fight went almost as I thought it would. I thought Mike would be able to get the, to finish the job against Mickey Gall. Um, but Mike Perry looked incredible. He looked really tough. You know, Mickey, Mickey Gall is a talented dude. We talked about it last week. But Mike Perry shut him out for three rounds. What did you think of Mike Perry's performance? I was so impressed with how freaking
2: strong Mike Perry is. Because Mickey Gall is a D1 caliber wrestler. And Mike Perry was tossing him around like it was a grappling dummy in there. I mean, Mike Perry is built like a brick shit house, And it was fully on display this entire fight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he looked good everywhere. His striking is so dangerous. That dude, he can put you away at any point. He's going to come in there. He's super durable. I mean, see his fight with Vicente Luque. Um, his jiu-jitsu is wrestling everything he's just the the dude he is strong mickey mickey gall i think when he got into those grappling exchanges with mike perry was shocked on how strong that dude is he couldn't do anything with mike perry so um yeah no i thought mike perry looked really really good um what did you think of the corner advice from the girlfriend and it was very very unfortunate but espn they didn't give us any girlfriend cam what the hell The corner advice from the girlfriend,
2: the only corner advice we got was Mike Perry advising his own corner. Mike Perry was judge, jury, and executioner on Saturday night, Parker. He was telling his girlfriend, he said, no, put it on my neck. Like, he's coaching her while he's in the corner in the middle of a cage fight. It is unbelievable. It is is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in any corner ever, including our boy Josh Fabia
1: god all right so mike perry has a great fight dominant fight and then billy i'm gonna let you dive into this one gets on the mic in what fashion that only mike perry can do and just goes on this epic rant i'll let you get into it billy
2: mike perry goes on this rant you know, he does the typical, none of you believed in me. All you were picking Mickey Gall. I was like, you know what? I did pick Mickey Gall. I'll own that. I got you, Mike. I shouldn't have doubted platinum. But then he goes on this rant about how he doesn't want to get paid more. He just wants the government to take fewer taxes from him because he's trying to ball out and drink Mai Tais on the beach. And he's like, don't be don't be giving me money and then coming back and taking it later. Like, Mike, welcome to the world of being an independent contractor, pal. That's how taxes work. Parker immediately texts me, love this, F them taxes. I hate taxes too, and I love Mike Perry. I was like thinking to myself, God, this guy needs a business manager more than anything. What did you think, Parker?
1: Yeah, Mike Perry's. He's one of these guys that unfortunately— He's probably going to be broke in 10 years. <laughs> he said it today on Ariel's show. He goes, I don't give a fuck. I'm, he, he said YOLO like 10 times, but basically said he's just here at a party. Fuck his honeys and make money. <laughs> and that's why we love platinum Mike Perry. He's as real as it gets. Doesn't like paying taxes. Who does? Who likes paying taxes? So epic interview from Mike Perry. Uh, I had shades of kind of Nick Diaz there. That was like kind of an epic Nick Diaz ramble where he says about 2,500 words where he only needs about a hundred, but he makes some good points. He made some really good points. Well, the best part of this was
2: after, as this interview is happening, Ben Askren and Eddie Alvarez are on Twitter, Two, of, in my opinion, two of the smartest MMA fighters. Like, If you want to look at how to run your career as an MMA fighter, model it after those two guys. If you have any amateur fighters, guys who are young in their career right now, listen to this show. Look at what Eddie Alvarez and Ben Askren were saying about setting up an LLC, diversifying your income streams. I mean, Parker, you're a small business owner. You understand this. You, you get you get how tax yeah. shelters work like they're they are. These guys are dropping knowledge that you usually have to pay a financial advisor for. Here's my question, Parker. Do you what do you think Mike Perry needs more? A business manager slash financial advisor or an MMA coach? Because I'm starting to think hey. the business side <laughs> is where he really needs help. And he can have the chocolate chip buttercup in his corner every weekend. And that guy can still be throwing elbows and right hooks.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, um, Mike Perry actually talked about that on Ariel's podcast I listened to today. And he, he actually, I think, for as like off the walls and some of the crazy shit he says, I think he's fairly educated and kind of knows what the hell is going on. But um, he went he went into depth talking about, you know, when the Fertitas owned the UFC, that they they had people on staff that would help these guys with their taxes, you know, especially like if they fight in foreign countries you know making sure that they get paid what they're supposed to get paid they're paying the right taxes and doing everything above board which i don't know why the ufc as big as they are why would they not have people in house that could help these guys you know set up different ways to do their taxes the correct way well and here's the
2: other thing parker if you had a fighter union like other sports have They have union representatives who will bring in financial advisors and lawyers and accountants who will help explain this to you so that you are getting the maximum amount of dollars in your pocket that you deserve. Most UFC fighters, a lot of people don't understand this, most UFC fighters get taxed twice because they get taxed where they're from and they get taxed where they fought. So they get taxed twice. So it's especially important if you're an independent contractor, as most MMA fighters are, I think basically all MMA fighters are actually independent contractors. It is super, super important that you have a business manager who has your best interests in mind who can help you set up LLCs so that you are not getting
1: overtaxed over what you could actually be earning. All right, so does Mike Perry start a trend here, Billy? Do we see more guys showing up with their girlfriends or with no corner to try to make more money? He he said it today. He's like, I'm the one fighting in there, not my corner men. Why would I have to pay them, you know, 10% of what you make? Or why do you have to pay an agent, you know, 20% of what you make when you're the one in there fighting? Do you see any trend starting here with fighters that are going to you know, mirror people like Mike Perry, who didn't bring a corner, or Sean O'Malley, who manages himself. Do do we see that as a new trend in M- MMA or not? So I think what's interesting about that idea is, like,
2: first of all, I find it hilarious. All these MMA fighters who are now tweeting, like, my wife slash girlfriend slash fiance just asked to be in my corner for the next fight, um, and they're all just like, no, absolutely not. Um, but what you're going to see, I think, is, is kind of we've gotten to this trend where a lot of the majority of MMA fighters are kind of in these mega camps, right? Your American top teams, your AKAs, your Rufus Sports, where these are really large camps that have a lot of UFC fighters in them. And I think you could see a lot of MMA fighters, especially ones who have been in the UFC for a while, head towards that kind of TJ Dillashaw type model where... They have a coach right. just for them. It's a camp that's built around them. It's almost the old boxing model. And they bring sparring partners in from other camps, from other gyms. But the idea that you're going to have you know, four or five coaches that you're going to have to fly out to every fight, that you have to pay for these guys, you have to pay for expenses, you're paying them out of your own pocket a lot of the time, I, I think that's going to go away. And that's actually why I think Mike Perry is going to end up with someone like Dean Thomas, who— Recently split from ATT amicably, you know, no infighting or anything, but went to go start his own gym in Florida and is kind of building a, a smaller stable of fighters. But I could see Mike Perry going that route where he's with a smaller camp. He's getting more individualized attention and he maybe has one or two cornermen that he brings to every fight rather than, you know, having kind of these mega camps where you have, you know, four or five,
1: six coaches that are all there for you. Right, um, yeah, I agree. I that, I think the most disgusting thing, and um, Sean O'Malley has talked about this a lot, you know, after his last fight or so. But the the amount of money that fighters pay their management, you know, some fighters are paying twenty to thirty percent of their fight purse to their management. If they get bonuses, thirty percent of that bonus goes to their management. I I don't see that as something that's super necessary, or you know. Smart enough fighters should be able to negotiate their own deals, have lawyers look over it at, you know, a fraction of that cost. So especially when these guys start making more and more money, that's just so much money you're just leaving on the table. And again, they're the ones in there putting their body and their life on the line, not the managers, not the cornermen, et cetera. So, yeah, I I think we're going to see a little bit of change, you know, especially if the big names, you know, Platinum Perry, Sean O'Malley, people like that start changing the way they do it you could see some change. John Jones has talked about this a lot. He said you never pay a
2: manager more than 10% and the crazy thing about all those guys paying them that amount of money especially in the UFC is most of the job of a manager used to be getting you short sponsors and you know shirt sponsors and things like that. With the Reebok deal that's gone. So like what are the, what are these guys really doing to earn 20, 30%? I mean it's it's a crazy percentage to be paying guys. So I agree with you. I think that's going to be a trend in MMA, where there's going to be a dwindling amount of money paid to managers or, um, you know, fighters who are savvy, savvy or managing themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at it at the end of the day. Like, look at Platinum Mike Perry. If he made a hundred hundred grand for that fight, you know, you pay what five to ten grand to bring your your team out there, put them all up, you know, feed them, whatever. Then you pay another twenty percent or so to a management group, and then you pay taxes. I mean, you're not walking away with a whole lot of money, you know. So it, it's something to look into. But um, you know, I, again, we've talked about this at LinkedIn. I think this is a new sport. We're going to see a lot, a lot of improvement, you know, on this in the future. So, all right, Billy from Mike Perry, what's up next? I know you want some chaos.
2: Give me the Diego Sanchez Mike Perry fight, and <sighs> you better it. give it to me during a Let's pandemic go. where there's no crowd. And I can watch back and forth between the chocolate chip buttercup and Josh Fabia in the corners. I mean, come on,
1: Parker. Tell me that's not a great fight. I'm totally down. I'm down for that. Um, Outside of Diego Sanchez, I'd like to see the Robbie Lawler fight. I think that's a really fun fight. Um, Robbie Lawler, similar to Mike Perry, just ultimate savage, former champion, but getting older now. And I, I think that'd be a fun fight. And that's a fight you could headline a main event with, you know, a fight night card. So, yeah, um, fun fight for Mike Perry coming up soon. I, I, I think he'll fight again before the end of the year. Um, My other right, one, Billy. Parker, just, for, just to see
2: the back and forth between these two nutcases, Kevin Holland against Mike Perry is an all-time motor mouth fight. I mean, those guys would be talking yeah. the whole time. That would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be awesome. All right, Billy, it's time for everyone's favorite uh, segment, Billy's Hardcore Minute. Get into it. All right, so I have five fights, or five, I guess, kind of performances
2: I wanted to highlight from this past Fight fight Night card that I was really impressed by, and I think these are people to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, Kay Hansen, 20-year-old BJJ phenom, got a little pieced up on the feet early, but ended up arm-barring uh, Jin Yu Frey, who's the former Adam Way champ in Invicta, um, really impressive. Got a shout-out from Ronda Rousey, so love to see that. Kama Worthy uh, was a short-notice replacement in his UFC debut, knocked the guy out in the first round, comes up against the violent Bob Ross, who I believe is undefeated in the UFC or maybe has one loss in the UFC, and ends up choking him out in, in the third round. Really impressive. That guy looks really good. He looks every bit you know, a polished featherweight um, to kind of take these guys out. Takashi Sato, Parker, you see this one, 48 seconds, KOs Jason Witt. I mean, that is the best performance from a Japanese fighter we've seen in the UFC in a long time. So that is exciting. Tanner Boser, what a mullet on this guy. KOs Felipe Linz, you know, cold. And now Linz has lost two straight former PFL champion not a good look for the PFL right now, you know, not holding fights. Your champion's been, been beat twice in the UFC. Um, not a good look. And then fifth guy I highlighted last week, but Brendan Allen continues his run of dominance. His ground and pound is really nasty. His jujitsu is really slick. I would love to see him fight Ian Heinish. That's what he called out after his fight. Uh, I, I think that's a great fight. I think that's a really fun fight. Um, those are my five performances. That's my heart. I love, I love
1: that. I love that. Love that fight too, by the way, Brendan Allen. Who do you fight? Kyle Dorshick or something? Dacus, Kyle Dawkins. Yeah. Kyle Docus Both of those guys are fucking tough and really good fighters. That, that was a very competitive fight, but um, yeah. So overall, pretty decent card, um, but you know, the main event was well, well worth it. That was one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life. So yeah. And Dustin Poirier is back. So really, really excited to have him back in the mix. Um, All right. So next week we have a gigantic, gigantic pay-per-view card to preview. We're going to probably spend the whole hour on that. Uh, Billy, let's run through some current events and then let's get out of here. Yeah, man. Um, I would like to say my number three fight of the year,
2: though, I've decided is Mike Perry versus taxes. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Um, so the first current event I want to kind of talk about is John Jones and his community service efforts. He, uh, you know, hate crime committed in Albuquerque, um, really, you know, horrible thing done to a local business. Um, John gets out there with his crew and he's painting and he's fixing glass and he's, you know, trying to help his community. And, and we saw this a little bit with, you know, the way he was handling the George Floyd protests as well. Um, you know, and he talks about how his latest kind of, dui incident kind of opened his eyes a little bit and um made him really think about how he's perceived and how he's setting an example i mean parker what do you think are we seeing a change version of
1: john jones i sure hope so because i think he's the dude if he can stay focused and stay out of trouble he's got the next five years for john jones he's really going to staple himself as the best fighter of all time And really, the only things that have slowed him down is just his life outside the octagon. So I hope so. I mean, and and this isn't an act. I mean, this isn't just PR. John Jones has been at this for pretty much the whole pandemic, riot time frame. I mean, you watch him on his social media. He's been helping do what he can do for the last month, month and a half or so. So um, good for John Jones. You know, I I think if he's not going to fight, this is a good way does spend his time until he's ready to come back and take a big fight. So yeah, good for John Jones. Yeah, man, I really, I agree with you. I, he
2: seems legitimately changed, you know, he's doing great things in the community and I hope he can kind of stay on the straight and narrow. Cause like you said, that guy is the best fighter this sport has ever seen. And the only thing that can be John Never. Jones yeah. is John Jones. So I, I hope it's Absolutely. real. Uh, second current event, Parker, John Cavanaugh, famous head coach of SBG Ireland author of Win or learn head coach of one Conor McGregor says Conor's retired and he can't convince Conor to do shit regarding fighting so, so what do you think of this what do of this do you think Conor's retired do you think coach Cavis is telling no. the truth
1: or no I don't I don't at all and I think coach coach Cavanaugh he knows that Connor's ready to fight. I think Connor's training. I think Connor's just waiting for the right moment, the right fight, to get back in there. Um, I, I don't think it's about money anymore for Connor. It's about his legacy. He's ready to right his wrongs, get his belt back, go out on top. You know, I don't think he's satisfied with how his career has gone the last couple of years, how his personal life has gone the last couple of years. Although he seems to be thriving, and you know, he's made more money than probably. Any fighter ever outside of Floyd Mayweather, um, I think Connor's going to be back, and I think he's going to redeem himself. He'll be back. But I, I, Coach Kavanaugh's done this in the past. He covers for Connor sometimes. He BSs to the media a little bit sometimes. He plays tricks on the media sometimes. So I, I don't, I don't take much out of that.
2: I can't believe I'm falling for the John Jones is a changed man and the Connor is retired in the same episode, but I kind of feel like he's retired. Like I don't, I don't see it. I don't see the training footage or the sparring footage that we used to see, you know, kind of late last year and even early in the pandemic. I don't see the fights that are available that would excite Connor. Um, We've covered at length how the UFC doesn't really want to pay stars right now. Um, you know, it might be a temporary retirement. I don't know. But I don't think Conor's in the gym right now. I don't think he's training right now. I think for all intents and purposes, he's at least on a sabbatical from, from fighting. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to be wrong. No one's more excited for Conor McGregor to be in this sport than I am. But I just don't see it right now, to be honest, Parker.
1: We need to get our Irish reporter on, Sean Sheehan. Let's go get the scoop uh no I, I think i think connor's back by the end of the year you know i just think he's too big of a draw he's still in his prime you know there's a lot of big fights a lot of big money fights pandemic or not he'll be back by the end of the year mark my words on that one all right what do we got next billy so the next one i have
2: here is the rumors that um um the israel adesanya paulo costa title fight is being held up because they want uh, and Paulo Costa to coach the u- next season of the Ultimate Fighter. What do you think about this?
1: And it's held up just because they can't do reality TV right now, or what? Izzy does not want to coach the Ultimate
2: Fighter. He has no interest.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you need the Ultimate Fighter to build this fight. There's natural heat on this fight. Israel's coming off one of probably the most boring fight of his career, and I think he wants to come back out and make a big statement and transcend into being a you know global superstar. I don't think there's any need to put those two guys on there at all. You know, I, I think Israel's kind of above that, honestly, right now. It would be good TV, yes, but I I don't even see how how would they even go about doing the Ultimate Fighter right now.
2: My guess is you basically put them in a bubble. Um, you know, it's basically a bubble anyway and you know, you test them on the way in, you quarantine everyone and then, you know, you kind of run the you know, ultimate fighter out of the Apex, you know, in, in in a bubble, I guess. I guess that's the plan. I don't know.
1: Now, how long has the ultimate fighter been
2: not going? Over a year now. I have no interest in the ultimate fighter at this point. I have no interest like, there's plenty of ways that I can that I can learn about these guys outside the octagon. I have no interest in it at all.
1: Well, and I think the Contender Series is a lot better for kind of, you know, filtering through who's going to be a star, who's going to make the cut quicker. You know, you roll out however many guys in, what, six to eight weeks, and look at the guys that it's produced. I mean, look at Sugar Sean O'Malley is on his way to being... One of the best stars, you know, biggest stars in the UFC, uh, Macy Barber. Uh, who else came off there? Kevin Holland, Greg Hardy. See, you've had, yeah, Greg Hardy. So I, I think they've had more success probably with the Contender Series in what two summers than they've had in the last four or five years with the Ultimate Fighter. So I, I don't see any interest in. I don't have any interest really in watching that. I think it's too much tv it's too unnecessary I, I think if you want to build this fight you do some sort of press tour with these guys where they you know do a couple interviews together or whatever and they talk some shit and then that's all the heat you need i don't i don't think you need any more heat you already have izzy's been trolling this guy online for a year calling him a juice head and you know just picking him apart and i think israel would fucking just destroy him verbally you know, in these press conferences that they have. So, no, I, I don't really have any intention to watch that, or I don't, I don't think it's necessary, and it sh- certainly shouldn't hold up the fight. If these guys are ready to go, they should book the fight.
2: My next one I have is the Reebok deal. All indications from both sides are that it will not be renewed, and the UFC will be moving on from Reebok. The rumored uh, companies that are interested, and this is according to Dana, so keep it, take it with a grain of salt, is nike under armor and venom the uh combat sports gear company what do you think of this what do you think of the reebok deal um in general what are your thoughts parker
1: i think the reebok deal just seems to go away i i think it's pretty understood universally that none of the fighters are a huge fan of it um, it took away a lot of their money, you know, that they were making from sponsorship. There's a number that always stick in my head. I think Brendan Schaub said it, but one of his fights, maybe against Krokop, he had. I think he made like three hundred eighty thousand dollars off of sponsorships on that one fight. So I mean, these guys, their career is only so long, and they're giving up so much money with this Reebok deal. So I honestly would like to see the sponsorship that, you know. I don't think they need a brand. Why do they need a brand? They just go back to what they were doing originally. The UFC can sell merchandise. And I, I just don't see the big advantage of having a brand. I Like, a, a deal with Nike would be huge. Obviously, Nike's a global brand, a powerhouse. And I think Nike could probably capitalize on some of these guys. Like, you look at what Reebok's done. And, I mean, they put out, like, two cool shirts with Sugar Sean O'Malley. But besides that, what did they do? bring to the table for the ufc you know i think they gave it a little more of a uniform look when they were trying to sell the company but outside of that it's it's been kind of a shit show and i i I don't think anyone wants wants it so i don't know i'd like to see them go back to normal you know 2008 to 12 range or whatever when they could wear whatever sponsors they want i think the fighters could make a lot more money and you know i think that gives the fighters a lot of character like Look, look at these shorts the Iceman shorts. How iconic are those? Chuck Liddell shorts, the, I mean that that will stand that will go down in history as one of the most iconic shorts ever and imagine you've got so many big names right now how This Reebok deal affects their brand and the money they're making
2: yeah, I think there's so many examples of that like Kito's flame shorts the orange sakuraba yeah. shorts crow cop with the Croatian flag I, I just think there's yeah. so many examples. I, you know, I think there's a way to do this where you have an apparel supplier, you have a uniform look, but you also have room for sponsors. I think if you look at the way that, you know, the NBA does it, the MLB is is doing it, in, in, or baseball does it in other countries, you know, NASCAR, where it looks uniform somewhat, but you maintain the individuality of the athletes, you allow them to sell sponsorships, Um I think that's really important to growing the sport, growing these fighters individually. And I think it takes some of the pressure off the UFC to pay these guys big money because they can get the income from other places. So then you're getting the fights you want more often. I actually think it's a win win, which is why I think it's kind of weird that the UFC sees this as like, we need this revenue stream. The other thing I'll say Parker is I would be shocked if a non-combat sports entity wanted to be involved in this because there is no one who's sitting there saying like, Oh, like I'll use Reebok gear. Cause the UFC uses it. Like the Reebok has gotten nothing but bad press from this. And really it's about the UFC, not passing on the earnings from the Reebok deal to the fighters. So I would be shocked if it's anyone other than like a venom that is involved in this. That's like an already existing combat sports brand.
1: Well, and then with that, if you went with, like, a Venom, you know, or who would be another one? Hayabusa. Yeah, someone like that. They know the space. You know, they know the space. They know the fighters. You know, people in the creative department at Reebok don't know the fucking fighters. You know, they, there's just... that To sell fighting, it's not... There's not 32 teams. There's 600 characters that you have to be able to get creative with and capitalize on how unique and different these guys are and i I think you're right what i would like to see is someone that can come up with cool gear so maybe you go with a venom and then the fighters need to have more of a say and more of kind of a input on personalizing their gear like their shorts i'd like to see like there's no reason bryce bryce mitchell can't have fucking badass camo shorts right now right and you can throw a venom logo on there and then give them three or four sponsors each you know and then that gives more power to the fighters and we're not having this you know constant discussion about how underpaid the fighters are if they're making you know 150 to show 150 to win and then they're making two hundred thousand dollars every fight from their sponsors you know i think you're gonna have a lot happier fighters and then more people come into the ufc you know, I, so, yeah, I I think this is, the bottom line, this was to kind of, this was an attempt to kind of clean up the sport and make it look more like NFL, NBA, hockey, but we're past that. You got $4 billion, let's go back and let's have a little fun. I agree completely.
2: Um, do you yeah. want to talk about your two current events, Parker, or you want to move
1: on to fight bookings? No, let's move on to fight bookings. <laughs> We're we're not going to get anti-Semitic on this one, <sighs> yo. Fuck Henso crazy. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe for episode fifty. maybe for episode fifty. All right.
2: Uh, I'm going to give you four fight bookings, Parker, and you just okay. tell me which one of these you like the best. Okay. Number one, Yoel Romero against Uriah Hall. Number two, That's the one. Angela Hill versus the Karate Hottie. Good Anthony man. Lionheart Smith against Alexander Rakic. Vincente Luque against Randy Brown.
1: Yoel Romero, Uriah Hall. That's like first team, all body matchup. Two absolute just freak show specimens going at it. That's going to be a really, really fun fight. When when did that get booked for?
2: It's in August. I, it like in August it's, I think it's August. It's either the 8th or the 22nd. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great fight. And then um, my second would probably be shit, Vincente Luque versus Randy Brown's going to be a crazy fight both of those guys are they have crazy knockouts, crazy finishes that's a really fun fight Anthony Smith, I think bulldozes Alexander Rakic, I think he knocks him out um, and then my girl, Angela Hill she deserves, you know I, you and I both thought she won that her last fight she deserves another top 10 fighter and I think that's the perfect matchup Karate Hottie versus Angela Hill
2: I love that fight. I think that's an absolute perfect yeah. matchup. I actually think yeah. you know this is kind of an example of failing upwards for Angela Hill, right? Where you know, obviously, though we both think she clearly beat Claudia Gadelia, you know, she yeah. loses the fight on the scorecards technically, but I think karate, her against Karate Hottie is going to get a lot of eyeballs on it, in my opinion. I we both yeah. love Angela Hill. I think she's made. I think she. Other than Gilbert Burns, she's probably the most improved fighter of the past year. Um, Yeah. I want to see her get big spot after big spot. I think she's one of the best personalities
1: in the sport, too. Well, well, she's also someone – she'll fight five times a year. She doesn't give a shit, you know. I I think she's she's tied Cowboy twice, two years in a row for most fights in one year. I think she's had five fights back-to-back years or something crazy like that. So, uh, yeah – Those are awesome bookings. And then obviously next week we have a gigantic pay per view to talk about. So everyone look out for that. We're going to, me and Billy are going to get balls deep into Fight Island. Fight Island is one week away, Billy. Pack your Hawaiian shirts, baby. um, We're heading to the beach. Yeah. Let's get tropical. All right. um, So I think that's it. Parker's MMA show. That was episode 41. We're ripping through them. Like always, everyone, please like, subscribe, you know, do all the good stuff, share, and we'll keep it rolling. Any closing words for you, Billy?
2: Parker, I got to ask you, the, the people have been begging to know, how did you enjoy the KSW fight that I sent you?
1: I have not watched them yet. Leah's out of town, though, so I will, I promise you, I'll watch them tonight, and I'll get back to you. All right. Sounds good. The people deserve it, Parker. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a breakdown next week. All right till next time everyone thank you
0: thanks for listening to parker's mma show take a moment to rate and review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and visit parker keen's mma show.podbean.com for additional information on parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world for more information and important links about today's episode check out the show notes